as we continue to roll on. It includes the men's slope style event in snowboarding. The qualifying for that is just underway, so let's bring it to you now as we send it to the Todds. Todd Harris and Todd Richards on the call. Guys. In the midst of men's slope style qualifying, no medals on the line today. Watch something long enough from a video, the sideline, or the field of play itself, and you might notice certain trends start to appear. The Olympics will go to the most decorated nation in the history of the Winter Games. Norway claims gold. On today's episode, how commentators get you closer to the action despite being thousands of miles away from Beijing and how the medal count of their home countries speak volumes about differing attitudes towards sport. From NBC Sports, this is The Podium, a podcast about the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympic Games. I'm your host, Lauren Shahadi, coming to you every day from the ground with a unique angle on the performances that are carving what's possible on ice and snow. You need to have the ingredients for a hammer soup. And Red, well, he came out and threw the spiciest hammer soup we've seen so far. <laughs> if you've watched board sports, especially Olympic snowboarding in the U.S., it's very likely that you've been taught it. Taught it? Taught it? You've been taught? It's likely you've had the commentary of Todd Richards and Todd Harris, or even both. My name is Todd Harris, and this is my ninth Olympic Games, uh, both winter and summer, and I'm the play-by-play -play announcer for snowboarding and free skiing. And I am Todd Richards, and I am the color commentator for snowboard events here. This is, uh, I guess, I've been doing this since 2006, so this would be my fifth, fourth, fifth? <laughs> How many of these things have I done? I've done like five of these, I believe. Um, and yeah, you know, it's... Uh, it's my job to inform the viewer um, what they're seeing in a relatable fashion and also to inform the core, keeping snowboarding's roots alive during the broadcast. And doing it from far away. I'm speaking to you in Stamford, Connecticut from a sound booth. How different is that from your other Olympic stints? Um, you know, not particularly that much. Instead of staring at some egg crate um, sound uh, canceling, usually we would be staring out of the booth at the backdrop, the venue would be our backdrop, but we're watching it on monitors. Um, I can say that we can walk around freely, uh, you know, and mingle with the general populace, which is, which is nice, um, keeps you sane. Um, but as far as, you know, it being any different than our production, it's about the same. Yeah, I think the only thing different is our producer is on site in Beijing. And so we have meetings at uh, 6 p.m., local Eastern time, and that's 7 a.m. in the morning the next day for him. So it's a little different. Um, I, I really wanted to be there because I just like being boots on the snow. And even if the video goes down, we're looking out our window and we can look up the pipe. Now, you can't see the entire slope style course or border cross course, but you can usually see the entire pipe course. And it just gives a sense of security that if everything went down, video, we lost all that, we could still call a half pipe competition at least 
um, off our line of sight. So it's different. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm more of a, I like to be there boots on the ground. The Intel you gather by just being around athletes and other people is a little bit different with a 13 hour time change, but, um, we're lucky we're making the best of it. We've got great resources here in Connecticut. So all things considered, it's a pretty good move. You can still call the action, but what about getting that insider info that we love to hear from you about the conditions of the snow or maybe that an athlete didn't sleep well, that kind of thing? How do you get that, Todd, from a continent away? Um, I would say, you know, that's a little bit more difficult, especially since we usually at most Olympics, we can strap a snowboard on and we can go up there. It's actually one of the perks of the job is that we get to go and ride around and, you know, actually snowboard at the venues, whether, you know, whether it's, um, in Sochi or here or Italy or wherever it is, we're watching these and, you know, you can kind of ride over to the course and you can stand on the side of the pipe and you can actually see where maybe the problem sections are in a a border cross course, or you can see where the half pipe wall, you can actually look down the pipe and be like, Oh, that's kind of undervert down there and be able to like really have hands on the same way I would as if, you know, back in the days when I was competing. So, that's quite a bit different. I have to rely on um, Instagram DMs or, you know, texting my friends that are on the ground there who are, you know, they're really reliable, but you're not using your own senses to really get a feel of, of what's happening. And also it's the energy, yeah. you know, we're in a, we're in a small booth here. There is a lot of energy going on in Stanford, Connecticut, but it's not the same you don't feel the locals going crazy. Everyone knows you're there for the Olympics. Here, we're at a hotel and people are like, why what, Why are you so many people sleeping during the day here? You know, it's like people don't get it. Yeah. And, and the, the thing that's nice is when you're on site, you pick up little nuggets. You hear things, you know, you see guys in the lift lines or you see athletes and their coaches or wherever and they're talking about, oh, he likes this or they don't like that. And those are things you just don't get here. I mean, we're in a row of booths and, and I think our neighbors are curling and then the other side is biathlon. And so we see them coming and going and they see us coming and going. And that's kind of the interaction we have with fellow announcers and athletes. And you're both adding to the snowboard broadcast for U.S. channels and, and action sports have become, gosh, a huge contributor to the U.S. medal count. Why do you think that is? Well, I think the Americans are really good at action sports and that's kind of what our youth are into. And I think it was a smart move by the IOC to introduce a lot of these sports. You know, you think about it, uh, it's only been two Olympics that slope style has been in. And now they've introduced big air for free skiing and snowboarding. So I think they've kind of curtailed it towards what the kids are doing. And I think it's a smart move. That's, I just don't see a lot of kids getting into ski jumping and aerials, not nothing against that, but these are the sports that kids are doing. So if you want to draw those eyeballs, the Olympics, these are sports you have to feature. I would add on to that and say that, you know, the backbone of pretty much all the action sports, whether, you know, it be skateboarding, surfing, snowboarding, and I'll even loop uh, free skiing in there too, because I, I feel like it's the same kind of cultural impact is that these are passion sports. Um, first and foremost, and that if you strip away all the the Olympics and the competitions, people still identify as a snowboarder, as a skater. I'm a surfer, you know, but you don't really see people identifying as a, um, I'm a, I'm a tenniser. You know what I mean? Like that's not what you, I'm a bobsledder. Right. You're not socially um, identifying as that. So it's, I think the reason why the the people in the U S are, are, doing so well at the action sports is because, you know, our culture here really lets that flow, you know? And I I think that snowboarding and skating and surfing and all these different sports, 
they're a home for those that are that don't fit into the the usual cookie cutter puzzle of society and there's a lot of those and that's that's the best thing about it is that you know action sports is a home for everybody we don't we don't care who you are we'll take the misfits they're oftentimes the best ones I love the message. You say the best ones. What What is that development path for action sports? Being so free, d- does it feel like, I don't know, it corresponds to something deeper culturally in the U.S., maybe in a sense they're more entrepreneurial, self-starter kind of sports? Interesting. Well, you know, action sport, I mean, it's, it's, all of these are individual sports and their roots are not in team. You know, so th- I think that's where it started was from, in the beginning of snowboarding, it was all about, you know, trying to make a name for yourself as an individual. There was there was no even U.S. snowboard team on the horizon. So that the model that a lot of people are following is the same one that was laid out for myself back in, you know, the early the early 90s, early 2000s, um, because you can technically make a lot of money if you are the guy, like you're the guy, not like you're trying to, you know, drag the United States team on your back with you, but you are the guy. And in many, in many regards, look at Sean White. He's a prime example. I feel like Sean White is such a big name in his own and the U S team has climbed onto him. You know, he's pulling the U S team with him, but he's doing it his way, you know? So I think, you know, it's a, it's an older style of model. I think it's, it, like you said, it's an entrepreneurial model um, because you're cultivating an image and it's an individual image. And a lot of these athletes really, I think, get into the sport with no illusion of having Sean White money. I mean, sure, Sean, Sean Inc. raises all boats kind of thing because uh, he brings in eyeballs and cameras and sponsorships to events. But most of these athletes, I mean, Todd could probably answer this, when he first started getting into snowboarding, it was like, I'm going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Someone's going to pay me a ton of money. He went because he loved snowboarding. And you look at Chloe Kim and Sean White and some of these athletes, the great stories of my parents got up at four in the morning, drove me to the hill every year and paid for my lift ticket and paid yeah. for lessons and paid for my gear and all this stuff because I loved it. And then it turned into something rather than you're going to be channeled into this federation of training and you, will, you show promise in gymnastics or skating or whatever it is. Um, these guys did it out of love and yeah. then it turned into a profession. I mean, and that's like you peel the onion back on it a little bit. It's there, there was no snowboarding or being an action sports icon as a job choice. It was just, you know, usually you, it was frowned upon by your relatives. Like, ah, when are you going to get a real job? You burn out. You know, what happens <laughs> if you break your leg? Like that kind of thing. You couldn't even fathom, but like I remember telling people on the ski lift that I was a professional snowboarder, and I would just have people laugh at me. And now you tell someone on the lift that you're a professional snowboarder, they're like, "Do you know Sean White?" You know, it's like that kind of a thing. So it's it's completely changed um, for the better or for the worse. While the U.S. excels at action sports, with snowboarding accounting for over 30 of some 307 winter medals, one country stands above them in the medal count, one that takes a very different development approach and excels in the more traditional Olympic sports. Trant and I said, welcome to the podium, longtime athlete and coach, now working for Discovery Channel and calling the Winter Games from afar. And I mean from afar from Norway. What's that like? Well, the reality is that, uh, you know, we're sitting in a sound booth. We're not in Beijing. We're in Oslo. 
due to the COVID situation. We're looking at the screen. We have to commentate on what we see. So it's slightly different than being on site. If you're on site, then it's, you know, you get a little bit more of a feel for how the snow is, how the course is. You get to, it's a little bit more touch and feel. But at the same time, we have enough uh, intel from our connections uh, with a variety of teams. Tron, how do you get the intel that you need? I've been a coach my whole life. And before I was a coach, I was an athlete. I spent some time at the University of Vermont as an athlete. And after that, I coached in college, then coached the U.S. ski team, then went on to Europe, coached in uh, for the German team, for the Swiss team, for the Norwegian team, and for the Austrian team. So I've been around a little bit, and now I'm sitting on the same fence as most of the journalists out there. Oh, wow. From a different perspective, you're watching the athletes compete. So you've been around the cross-country block, notably even with the U.S. ski team. What stands out from these games so far? I think the, the courses will be remembered that they're extremely hard. And it's not, not just the profile that makes it hard. The profile is much like uh, Salt Lake City, the courses we saw at Soldier Hollow. Uh, the major difference here is that we, additional to the, the hard courses, we also have extremely slow snow and lots of wind. And so that makes it challenging. So we're going to see some major, major differences, a bigger difference than we normally see. And the reason being that, you know, you have the altitude, you have slow snow, you have lots of wind, and then you have the, you know, depending how good an athlete is on any one given day. So if you have a great day, great skis, and you're, you can handle the, the conditions, then you'll, you'll have great, a great result. So I think it's gonna, not going to be as tight as we're used to seeing it at, uh, at the World Cup level. Norway already having great results, favorite in a lot of sports in Beijing, and it got the first gold with a cross-country win. What makes the country so good at developing snow and ice champions? You know, they found a system that continuously over time produces great athletes in a variety of different sports, be it in the summer or in the winter. Um, and and it's, it's different in the sense that we let kids be kids. Um, it's, it's a huge difference between having a world champion focus versus we're going to let the kids champion the world. So, you know, they sound similar, but uh, the approach is completely different. I think that a lot of countries and a lot of parents also, you know, they're so excited. Their kids, they're good at something. And then they start seeing scholarships and gold medals in the future and they get focused in one sport and parents become less parents and more agents uh, and they're just doing everything to ensure that they have success in, in their early years. And in order they have more patience, um, we have to also admit we have patience to let people do what they want to do. So there are parents that are, say, more excited than they give their, their, their kids. Probably they, they, they want them to, to train hard and, and ski fast or run fast in early ages. And that works as well. But the majority of uh, kids in Norway, they're part of a club system. They get to develop, and then, you know, we wait for the results. Um, and that's, that's a big difference. In many other countries, they specialize early. Uh, you see that uh, a lot of kids, they mainly have one sport where they, uh, what they focus on, what they excel in. Um, and unfortunately, we see then a lot of injuries. We see that uh, they quit earlier, and uh, they get measured in Norwegian eyes too, too early. But, that being said, there are pockets of the U.S. where there are similar systems. I'd say in, in Alaska, the way they do things with uh, 
cross-country skiing, for instance, is, is probably very similar to, to what's in, in Scandinavia. Also in, in New England, there are a couple of programs that are very similar, but we can't forget that Norway is a relatively easy country. We have just about 5 million people. It's a relatively small country. Um, the U.S. with over 300 million people and an extremely large country, it, it's harder to coordinate, harder to, to have this common philosophy. So there are pros and cons of being or good or bad things of being big and then also being small. So uh, the system works in Norway. It's not said that it would always work um, work in, in bigger countries and different countries. But I think that the the main message is to let kids be kids and to be patient um, and to ensure that they master things. I think that uh, could work also in the U.S. I get that. But what's the issue in pursuing something you might be good at very young? I I mean, I hear in Norway, there are deliberately no competitions beneath a certain age. In Norway, because we have the first uh, first national competitions when they are 14 and 15, that's the first time they have a national championships. And we see that for the most part, if you're top 10 there, you're probably not going to be very good when you're grown up. There are exceptions, of course, uh, but that's statistically uh, seen. And then if you're between, say, place 10 and and place 60, 70, then you're probably going to be good in the future. Wow. So you look at early excelling as an issue. Why isn't that a sign of future success? You know, with 18, you know, you have these biological advantages that kids have. You know, there are 12-year-olds. Some of them look like they're 9-year-olds. And some of them, they already have a beard and look like they're 16. So you have huge differences in, in biological age, and it would be unfair to to compare the results then and say, you know, you're really bad, so you're not going to have a, a future chance, and you're really good, so you're going to be our shining star. Uh, and, 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 and that's not the way it should be. I mean, we need to just let the kids keep moving because that's a natural thing, and then we need to let them explore and be happy. I think it's just a chance of, you know, sort of, letting kids experience the joy of sports and not just isolating that in one particular sport. Um, kids are, are funny, you know, they, they're like us. They like to have fun. They like to enjoy things. Um, like you and me, we like the things that are fun. We do more of and the things that are not so fun. We do a little less of. And in Norway, you do a lot of winter sports, right? The, I mean, winter sports is part of the Norwegian DNA. I mean, it's, it's, they always say that Norwegians are born with skis on their legs, and, which is, of course, not true. But it, it's people are crazy about skiing, and, and they're particularly cross-country skiing. And so they've probably always been good. I mean, they've always, you know, obviously they have some good Olympics and some bad Olympics, but overall they've done very well. Nordic combined is, is very strong, even though it's not a big sport. We like to identify with that. Ski jumping, um more and more also alpine skiing, you know, since the 80s, you know, we've started to do okay in alpine skiing and then obviously biathlon. So, you know, as long as you have a white surface underneath your sporting equipment, we we like to think that we are good at that and we identify ourselves with that. But for most people, cross-country skiing is sort of the heart of everything. I mean, there are not very many adult people who just for fun go ski jumping. There are not very many Adult people just that uh, just for the fun of it uh, do a slalom or race down at 140 miles per hour down a mountain. 
but cross-country skiing, everyone can do. It's, it's something that is accessible. Everything is for free. You can, you, you know, you don't have any trail pass or anything like that. So you can just go ski and enjoy it. And, you know, when I've been here in Oslo, I've been out there and, and skiing myself. And you see people of all ages, of all abilities, uh, they're out there enjoying the snow. And it's, it's good to see. So it's, that's sort of the, the identity of the Norwegians. So it's just one of those things that it's, it's a given, you know, it's, it's hard to explain, but it has just a cultural value. People think it's cool. People think it's great being outside, enjoying nature. Um, and, and in the end, when you're a kid, no one thinks about medals or fame or being the best in the world. It, it's all about enjoying that moment. And, you know, in other countries, like, you know, also in the U.S., you know, there are no very few parents that are going to themselves go down a slope-style course or they're going to do, a, you know, go on a skateboarding uh, trail. But in Norway, that's a good thing about skiing the parents aren't driving their kids to practice. They're going skiing with their kids. So it's a family activity. So you'll see a lot of kids out there. They're skiing with their parents, with their grandparents, with their families and friends. So it's just one of those things that they can experience in a group. They can experience together. Um, and, and that's something that Norwegians value, that they can do something as a, as a family. I love that. It's valuable. What what can every country do to become better in the Olympics, but also just overall? I think that uh, you don't need to reinvent anything. I mean, every country is different. It has different geographical challenges, size challenges. So you can't solve it the way Norway did. But in the same token, you know, in small pockets, you can just follow this model and and things will be good because it's such a you know, it brings it all to the point that sports is a lifetime enjoyment and lifetime sort of, you, you have to keep people engaged in sports the whole, their whole life. And if you just follow that recipe, it boils down to as many kids as possible needs to be introduced to the sports. And we keep them for as long as possible, possible by virtue of teaching skills. And if we do that, they're going to be as successful as, as can be. We won't keep you any longer. You guys have to get back to the booth and help us understand and enjoy the performances in Beijing, of course. But what are you most looking forward to in these games? Oh, the finale of Book of Boba Fett. I am really <laughs> looking forward to that. Oh, next, you mean uh, the Olympics? Oh, Olympics. Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> I'm going to go first because I know I think I know where he's going to go. I'm really looking forward to uh, the men's free ski half pipe and slope style. I think it's going to be phenomenal. I'm such a newbie in this. This is my first time doing something like this. So right now I'm most of the time a little nervous just to try to figure out what my job is, what my role is, you know, trying to, to, to say the right thing. So um, that's something I need to, to, to learn. Um, but the good thing is like everything else, the more you practice, the better you get. So, you know, I still got some chances to practice during the Olympics, but I'd like to see... Uh, Great athletic performances. You know, I've been around for so, such a long time in different countries. So, you know, I love it when the Americans are doing well. I think it's awesome. You know, I've been a coach there. I've seen how hard they work. And, you know, I, I think it's just awesome to see that they get rewarded for their for their work. And so in the end, I like to see great performances. And, and with a hat I have right now in the Norwegian market, obviously, it's much easier to commentate when... We have uh, great Norwegian performances, so obviously I hope that the Norwegians 
do well, um, better than I did yesterday, uh, even though a fourth and a fifth place at the Olympics, those are great results. But in Norway, it's all about winning medals. So they're pretty hardcore there. Um, I think men's snowboard slope style final is going to be amazing because the heavy hitters are all in there. And of course, obviously, I think you might say the, the, yeah. men, the men's half pipe final. I want to see if, you know, I'm, I want to see the triple cork done in the line. I don't want to see it be a novelty trick. I want to see it happen in someone's line and add to their run and take them to the top. I want to see it done. And whether that's Scotty James, Ayumu, or, you know, I don't know what Sean has. He could have it too. Who knows? It's going to be exciting to watch. But don't sleep on curling. Just saying. For the first time ever, the Super Bowl and Winter Olympics will be on the same day and the same network. Competition continues at the Winter Olympics tonight. And don't miss Super Bowl 56 as the LA Rams take on the Cincinnati Bengals February 13th on NBC and Peacock. Follow the podium now on Amazon Music to get automatic downloads and tune into the networks of NBC to watch every moment of the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympic Games.